We are concluding our series on the resurrection and how the resurrection changes everything. I don't know that when I was growing up that I really ever stopped to think about why the resurrection was important. I knew that the resurrection was important. I knew that the cross was important. I think I had a pretty good grasp on why the cross was necessary, why it was necessary for Jesus to die, and why that was an important thing. And, and I guess I thought that it's great Jesus came back to life and, and, and lived, and people saw him and touched him, and, and that's good, but What difference does that make? What implications does that have for our life? And so I hope that this month, as we've looked at 1 Corinthians 15, and we've kind of explored some of the implications that Paul says the resurrection has, Paul usually uses some negative arguments, doesn't he, to say, okay, listen, I know people are telling you there is no resurrection, but if that were true, then here would be the implications of no resurrection, so we can know that the opposite is true, since, in fact, Jesus is raised from the dead, these things are true. And so we've talked about why we believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, why we can be confident of the resurrection. We've also talked about that the, the fact that the resurrection means that we can trust in the Lord. That when we're going through an incredibly dark and heart-wrenching time, we can look at the empty grave and we can know that when you trust in the Lord, He will raise you up. That's what the resurrection teaches us. It teaches us that when you trust in the Lord, He will raise you up. And then we talked about some of our biggest doubts and fears revolve around whether or not God could really ever love and accept someone like me. We think about the things that we've done and the things that we've said, the things that we've failed to do, the things that we've chosen not to do that we should have done, the regrets that we have. And so many of us tend to think God could never love somebody like me. God could never forgive someone like me. God could never accept someone like me. We talked about how the resurrection changes our thinking in that way, doesn't it? It says to us that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. And if we are in Christ and God has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus, then that means God also accepts us. He loves us. He forgives us. And we talked last week about how the resurrection means that we have to repent Also, doesn't it? It means we can't go on living as if this life is all there is. We talked about the fact that the resurrection proves that we all will be resurrected. And those who are living in sin will be resurrected to a resurrection of judgment and punishment. But those who are resurrected that are in Christ Jesus and are trusting in Christ Jesus, that are clothed in Christ... Well, we'll be resurrected to life, an eternal, wonderful life with the Lord. And so that's really our hope, and that's what this series is all about. But today I want to talk about how the resurrection changes our thinking about our life in every single aspect. And think about this for a second. We all realize, and, and some of us more so than others, that a lifetime is fleeting, and that it can only be spent once. Not only is a lifetime fleeting, but months are fleeting, aren't they? I mean, it seems like we just started this series and now we're already ending it. It seems like this year just began and before we know it, it'll be halfway done. Before we know it, this year will be completely gone. Years are fleeting 
and they can only be spent once. Months are fleeting and they can only be spent once. Weeks, days, moments are fleeting and they can only be spent once. It's like an hourglass that gets turned upside down and the sand is quickly falling through the hole. And we all are painfully aware of that, aren't we? Even young people are are thinking about where they're going to go to college and how they're going to spend their college years. And and then they're thinking beyond that to what career will I have and, and how will I spend my life, what job will I spend my life doing? Single people are wondering, will I spend my life with someone? And if I will spend my life with someone, who will I spend my life with? As parents, we're thinking about our kids and we're thinking about spending our time making money and and providing for them. Somebody has to pay for college after all, right? So we're thinking about that and we're thinking about how much time we've got to spend doing the things that are necessary, but also balancing that with spending time with our families because we realize that those precious moments with our kids and our spouses, those moments are fleeting and they'll quickly be gone. Some are thinking about retirement and how will I spend my retirement years and how can I spend as much time as possible with my grandkids before that time is gone. And others get to the end and just look back and think about how quickly all of the time was spent and just how quickly it went. So this morning we want to ask What does the resurrection say to that? How can the resurrection help us to think through how we spend our lives? What does it teach us about how we spend our lives? We have to get to the point where we filter everything through the cross and the resurrection. And we say, because I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, since I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me, since I believe in the resurrection of Jesus and my own coming resurrection, what does that say about how I spend my life? Learning to think through moments and days and weeks and years and lifetimes and how we spend those lifetimes in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you would, look over at 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 30. We're going to try to work our way through the end of the chapter. We've only got a couple hours to do that, so uh, I think it'll take all of that time. No, hopefully not. So verse 30, let's continue on and, and think through the rest of what Paul says about the resurrection. He says, Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. And what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised? Let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, Paul is asking, why do I risk my life every day? Why do I face death every day? Why is it that I'm an apostle and I put my life on the line over and over and over again? Humanly speaking, that's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, why? Why do that? Why do what I'm doing, Paul is saying? Now, I want us to keep in mind, in the back of our mind, as we listen to what Paul's argument is, think about your life and how you're spending your time 
and your lifetime. But Paul is saying, why would I spend my time doing this? Why would I risk my life every day? Why would I face death every day? Why would I, he says, fight wild beasts in Ephesus? I have a feeling he's probably talking about the people in Ephesus versus wild animals. But that brings up an interesting point too, doesn't it? About the apostles and the Christians who were thrown to animals and and thrown to situations that were life-threatening. Think through the next letter that Paul writes to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about his life as an apostle. And he talks about all of the labors and the imprisonments, the countless beatings. He says, I've been beaten more times than I can count. He says, five times, five times, I was lashed by the Jews. That's 39 lashes. I, I, I can't even fathom that happening one time to me, can you? Five times, three times beaten with rods. He says, one time I was stoned. Paul's probably one of the only people that could say that, right? That he was stoned because stoning was a death sentence. But the Lord helped him to survive that stoning. Three times shipwrecked, a night and a day, adrift at sea. He says, I'm constantly in danger from rivers, robbers, my own people, Gentiles, false brothers, I'm danger in the city, I'm danger in the wilderness, I'm in danger at sea, I have toil, hardship, sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, cold and exposure. And then finally we know that he poured out his life as a drink offering. He was murdered by the Roman government. Why? Why? Humanly speaking, I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Paul had a blossoming career. He was advancing in Judaism beyond his peers. He was the kind of guy that had it all together. He probably had plenty of money. He had success. And and then he threw all of that away and became an apostle of Jesus. And this is the type of life that he has. Cold and exposure, working hard, imprisoned, stoned, beaten, whipped, and finally murdered. I mean, think through as a parent how you'd feel if your child says, that's the kind of career I want to go into, right? That's how I want to spend my lifetime is doing that kind of a thing. I just want to go and I want to get beat up as many times as possible. I want to be beaten so many times I can't count it. I want to be whipped. I want to be stoned. I want to, I want to die for Jesus. I mean, we as parents would say, well, hold on. I don't know if that's how you should spend your lifetime, right? And especially from a worldly perspective, we'd look at that and we'd say, why? Why do you do that? And and listen, this is exactly what Paul says when he's talking about this in Philippians chapter 3. He, he, he talks about all the things he had before he saw the resurrected Jesus. And then when he saw the resurrected Jesus, it changed everything. He said, for his sake, for Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. We don't really even have a strong enough word that we could say about what he considers all of his stuff and his life before. It's trash, it's garbage, it's worthless. Why? What do you want now? What have you found now that's more valuable than that? He says this, this is what I want. I want to know him, Jesus. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection that I may share in his sufferings And that I may become like him in his death. And this is what he says in verse 11 of Philippians 3. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 
It's all about having a resurrection mindset, isn't it? Because this is what the gospel is, isn't it, church? And I think we fail to grasp it sometimes. That the gospel is Jesus has given his life for you. He sacrificed it. He has spent it. He has poured it out. He has offered it up as a sacrifice for you. And then in response to that, you offer him your life, right? And you say, my life now belongs to you. You gave your life for me. I want to give my life to you. And just as Jesus gave his life and sacrificed his life and then was raised from the dead, that's the promise, isn't it? That you give your life to Jesus and that he will raise you from the dead to live with him forever. And because you love him so very much and because he's done so very much for you, you give him your life knowing that he's going to raise you from the dead. And that's what Paul knows. Not thinks, not that's his suspicion or, or just his wishful thinking, but that's what Paul knows. Once he saw the resurrected Jesus and Jesus explained to him the truth, the good news, Paul said, okay, now everything that I had before and all of my worldly pursuits and all of what the world thinks of as success and value and all the things that the world thinks of as valuable and precious and worthy, now all of that's rubbish to me. This is what I want. What I want is to know Jesus better. I want to become like him even in his death. Why? So that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of life. That's what I want. That's what Christianity is all about, isn't it? It's all about seeing that Jesus gave his life for you, And that when you give your life for Him, when you give your mortal life, this lifetime, to Him, trusting Him, that He will give you back a lifetime that cannot be spent, that cannot be used up, that's immortal, that's forever, that's eternal, that's with Him. Look at verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15, 35. So, what's that gonna be like? What's that, what's that resurrection like? And so, that's the question Paul addresses next. Someone will ask, how, how, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? That's all of our question, isn't it? And Paul's answer is this, you foolish person. You, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And then he goes on to say, it's like that. It's like planting a seed. You plant the seed in the ground and it breaks down and it changes and it's transformed. And then what comes from it is different than what you planted there, right? You plant a a grain, you plant a seed, and and the wheat that grows from it, it's different, right? You plant an acorn in the ground, and it breaks down, and it dies, and then an oak tree comes there. And you look at that, and you think, how? How did that tree come from that seed, right? And so Paul explains this body, this mortal body, is going to be buried. It's going to die, and it's going to be buried. And then when Jesus returns... You're going to get a brand new body. There's going to be a resurrection and and your new body and your old body are going to be different. And this is how he explains it. Let's look at the next slide. Paul compares the current body to the resurrection body. He says the current body is perishable. And we know that, don't we? We know that this body all too often, all too well, we know that it's perishable. And the resurrection body is imperishable. This current body is sown, it's buried in dishonor. 
in shame, but it's raised in glory. So the current body is dishonored and the new body is glorious. The current body is weak and the resurrection body is powerful. It's sown in weakness and raised in power. The current body is natural and the resurrection body is spiritual. Now, I don't think there that he means that it's spiritual as in ghostly or, or that it can't be seen or something like that. He, he s- describes it by saying that the natural body is the one you inherited from Adam, but the resurrection body is the one you get from God. And God gives you a body from heaven. He gives you a spiritual body. It's a body from Him. So the first body, this body is natural, and that body is spiritual. This body, the current body, is mortal, and the resurrection body is immortal. So the new body, the new life, is imperishable and glorious and powerful and spiritual and immortal. And so Paul says, I know that if I give to Jesus this life that is perishable and dishonored and weak and natural and mortal, and I sacrifice this and give it to him in service as a, what does he say in Romans 12, 1? I offer my body as a living sacrifice. I know. I know that when I offer that to Him, that I'm going to get back from Him something even better. And the resurrection of Jesus proves that, doesn't it? That when you offer it to God, when you offer yourself, when we were buried with Jesus in baptism, we do so in the knowledge that when He returns, we'll be resurrected to this kind of a life. An imperishable and glorious and powerful and spiritual, heavenly, immortal body and life with Him forever. Now, look at verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. Sorry, I got a little worked up. I'll calm down. Verse 50. Just kidding, I won't calm down. Uh, verse 50. <laughs> I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood, and I, I think if you look through the New Testament, you'll see that that's kind of a, a figure of speech, an idiom, that, that is exactly what he's talking about here. This flesh and blood, this weak and corruptible self, existence, body, life, this life cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed right so whether you're dead or you're alive when Jesus returns in a moment in the twinkling of an eye will be changed and we will put on this immortality that Paul is talking about verse 53 for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we see and recognize how counterintuitive the gospel is? I mean, when someone dies and when a person's enemies kill them, you usually think of that as defeat, not victory, right? 
When somebody's enemies conquer them and kill them, send them to their grave, you think of that as defeat. But we know, because of what we know in the good news of Jesus, that it's not defeat. That Jesus was killed, but His death was a victory, not a defeat. You see, the same is true for us when we walk in the footsteps of Jesus, when we give our lives for Him, even if it takes our lives. It's not defeat. It's victory, right? Because victory is what we have in Jesus Christ because of what He did and what the resurrection proves. Now look at verse 58. Get back to the application. Paul uses a therefore. And Paul's therefores are so important. you got to pay attention to his therefores. Because Paul will go through these theological arguments and say this is who God is. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. This is what we believe and this is what we know. And then there's a therefore. And what's the therefore? My beloved brothers, be steadfast. Be immovable. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do you see? Do you see how the resurrection leads to that conclusion? Do you see how the death of Jesus, Him giving Himself for us, and then being raised up in victory, means that when we give ourselves to Him, when we sacrifice and live as a living sacrifice to the Lord and spend ourselves for Him, that we too will be raised up, imperishable, immortal, powerful, spiritual, heavenly, and be given this life in Christ Jesus, how that means that we'll be victorious and the life that we give Him, the sacrifices that we make, the time that we spend, the service that we render is not in vain. That's, that's what I want us to leave here thinking about. Spend yourself for the Lord and you won't regret it, right? That's what he's saying. It's not in vain. You won't regret it. Spend your lifetime for the Lord. Spend your moments and your days and your weeks and your months and your years for the Lord and you won't regret it. It's not in vain to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. It's not in vain. Why? Because when you give Jesus this life, He promises that in the resurrection, He's going to give you a new life with Him for eternity. This is the only way to invest your life in a way that really matters. So the question then becomes, well, what does that look like? Well, in your life, in my life, every one of our lives, it's going to look a little bit different, isn't it? I mean, we're probably not all going to get into a ship and sail across the ocean and be like Paul, but we can do the same type of work day in and day out, can't we? We can see our presence in the workplace or in school or in the home. Or we can have one mindset that's a a worldly, earthly mindset that just says, I want to enjoy myself as much as possible. I want to collect as much stuff as possible. I just want to have the kind of success, the kind of victory that the world sees as success and victory. Or, Or we can have a resurrection mindset that says, listen... I'm going to invest myself and spend myself on the work of the Lord. I'm going to invest in people 
And I'm going to be so generous with the things and the time that God gives me that the rest of the world, they may have more stuff than you. And they may spend their time in other ways than you spend your time because you realize what's coming. You realize what's really important. Mark announced at the beginning of services this morning about our our classes that you can sign up to help teach and, and be helpers in. I know that's a big investment, isn't it? It's a big investment of your time to go and to prepare lessons to teach our kids and to, to spend the time teaching the classes before and during and after. But it's worth it. And you won't regret it. You won't regret spending your life, spending your time, spending your energy, spending your money for the Lord. Our lifetime is fleeting. And we can only spend it once. We've got to decide how we will spend it. Will we spend it the way that our neighbors are spending their lifetimes? Or will we spend it in a way that reflects, I believe that I will be raised from the dead because Jesus was raised from the dead. I believe in eternity and I believe that a lifetime spent for the Lord is not in vain. So those of you that have spent your lives working hard for the Lord, finding yourself at the end of it, I encourage you, it's not in vain. And even if you haven't spent the past working for the Lord, why not begin today serving Him, knowing that that labor in the Lord is not in vain? Or maybe you're just getting started and you're wondering what you're going to pursue, what you're going to do, how you're going to spend your time, how you're going to spend your life. This is the life. This is the life that matters, that when we live our lives as a living sacrifice, we will not regret it. And the empty tomb stands there forever to remind us of that fact. That's what we're committing to when we're baptized, isn't it? We're committing to dying to self, to being buried with Jesus, and to be raised to walk in newness of life. And maybe somebody hasn't made that decision yet, and you're ready to make that commitment. Commit to spending your life for the Lord, and your eternity with the Lord. Or maybe you just need to get back on track. Maybe you need prayers or encouragement. We are here to help you. We're in this together. We all need each other to remind each other to spend our lives for the Lord and not for worldly pursuits. If we can help you with that, if we can encourage you or pray with you, there's a room in the back. The elders will meet with you after services, or you can come forward as together we stand and sing.